0: This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode, we talk Michigan grouse hunting and bird dog puppies with my buddy Kellen Crow. Welcome back to the show for episode number 102. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onex subscription today. A buddy of mine is a forester. He was out in the woods yesterday and found what he believes to be an up-and-coming grouse hunting hotspot. He shared a waypoint with me via Onyx. I went in there, made some notes. Added the when, where, what, why, Changed the icon, Changed the color. Now I know exactly what that spot is, what it means. I will definitely be checking that out this fall. Thanks to my buddy that's a forester, and thanks to OnX. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Eukanuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance So when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Eukanuba dog. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. From the Bob White Sharp Tail Side-by-Sides to the Upland Ultralight Wing Shooter Elite Over-and-Unders, CZ USA has a shotgun for you. Head over to cz-usa.com today. And by Dakota 283 Kennels, kennels built to last a lifetime, one-piece rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check out all their kennels, accessories, and everything else they've got over at Dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway is Gary K. Gary left us a review in the iTunes podcast app. For that, we thank him Gary is going to have his choice of a Project Upland t shirt or a free access code to the new Audible audiobook by Project Upland Woodcock Shooting. Check that out at audible.com. Thank you, Gary. Anybody out there listening could be next week's winner. We've got more codes to the Woodcock Shooting audiobook. We've got Project Upland t shirts, plenty of them. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. we love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson@northwoodscollective.com. at northwoodscollective.com. All right, I just mentioned it. The first Project Upland audio book is available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Check it out. Woodcock Shooting by Edmund W. Davis. And I'm also going to tease another project we have. That will be announced very soon. It involves CZ USA. It involves shotguns and it's going to involve your help. You, the listener reader, the watcher, the follower of project upland. We want your input on our next project. Stay tuned. You will be hearing from us and CZ USA very soon. And finally today, June 5th, the day this podcast is releasing is the last day You can enter to win a four-night, three-day guided grouse and woodcock hunt at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Go to projectupland.com, look for the Pine Ridge Grouse Camp giveaway slash Project Upland survey. Take the survey, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a four-night, three-day guided grouse and woodcock hunt at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. All right, with all that said, we're going to jump into today's interview with my friend, Kellen Crow. He's a Michigan native. He's an upland bird hunter, he's an amateur bird dog trainer, and Kellen and I both have puppies on the way this summer. They were born a day apart. We got together to record this podcast to talk about Kellen's intro to upland hunting, what he's learned as a grouse hunter so far, and we mix in plenty of puppy talk and amateur bird dog training discussion as he and I are both very excited to take home our new pups this summer. So let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, Kellen Crow. And we're live, buddy how's it going Nick? thanks for joining us on the project upland podcast today and welcome back to everybody listening in to another episode we've got i'm gonna call you a special guest man i'm gonna go out on a limb call you a special guest
1: (laughs) special is definitely the word (laughs) kellen crow of michigan how are you man hey i'm hanging in there man we're uh we're coming off some weird times right now and uh it's been it's been finally like getting warm here in Michigan. Feels kind of like we're getting into summer. So, looking forward to uh, getting ready for the upcoming season coming up here pretty quick. It's going to be here before we even know it, man. Finally getting warm, says the guy who was sending me pictures
0: in like January of his dog running on bare ground, and I was like <laughs> yeah. buried <in> three
1: <laughs> feet of snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did send you that, and uh, I got some got some flack for that. But yeah, it's nice to it's nice to see the sun out and. Uh, feel a little heat but you know it's uh always looking forward to what's going to be coming up here pretty quick
0: yeah well it is friday and you said you were having a beer so i'm going to join you yeah, crack we don't always crack beers right into the mic but we're not afraid to either well i'm my inner ronnie bain here and having a little fun, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> And we were just talking hunter's happy hour and turkey hunting so yep uh cheers man you,
1: you guys you, you guys did get some snow over there this year didn't you yeah we did yeah we had we had a uh, not too bad i mean you know in the lower part of michigan you know we were able to hunt through december um without too much uh cover but um we definitely got some and i know the up got hammered pretty well so yeah they got a lot of snow yeah but it wasn't bad i mean i hunted i hunted um all through november or, well you know and into december and it was it was not bad Have you heard? um, We'll we'll jump
0: right into some rough grouse stuff. Have you heard anything regarding rough grouse winter survival? Because like I've got you know my network of people that I talk to, and we're all you know I always feel like we have this really healthy dose of like wishful thinking or like really hopeful optimism. So, but I can tell you like I just was talking to somebody yesterday that has a he has a dog out of a a litter that we're gonna talk about a little bit. Or a repeat breeding of the litter that we're going to talk about a little later in this podcast. But anyways, i have talking to a bunch of people and everybody's pretty excited about the winter conditions and kind of how things were over here in this neck of the woods. So I'm curious if you've heard anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we had a we had a solid winter. I mean, you know, we I mean, I'm always hopeful. Um, right. See, you know, I think. I think it's going to be really critical to see what happens here with the hatch coming up. Uh, that's going to mm-hmm. really be it's going to really be determine what happens. But I think it's going to be a, a good year. I mean, I know that last year uh, found a lot of birds, uh, not always in the spot that I wanted to hunt them, but doesn't mean I wasn't hearing them flush. You know? Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you bring up a good point in the hatch, and we've definitely talked about that on this podcast. That it's it's certainly not all about drumming counts, and it's not all about winter survival, but it's one of those one of those things that you know as as passionate grouse hunters we like to talk about all of it so kinda of take it all into consideration.
1: Yeah, we've been getting a little bit of rain here uh the last few weeks so hoping that we can uh see that taper off a little bit and uh you know have it have, have some good weather here for the hatch coming up pretty soon and uh that could be that could be really good for us. I know I know last year um my woodcock numbers were really, really stellar. I mean lots and lots of woodcock around especially You know, first couple uh, days of of grouse season. So in Michigan, our our woodcock season opens a few days after the grouse, uh, grouse season opens. So, um, but lots of lots of woodcock throughout the whole season. Um, So be interesting to see how that uh, plays out this year too. Seguing off the woodcock there
0: a little bit, I'll have you. We'll kind of rewind, and I'll have you put us on the map as we normally do. Like tell us where you're at, and I know woodcock kind of play a role in your upland hunting because i don't think you have grouse in your backyard so with that said tell us a little bit about where you live and kind of where you hunt
1: yeah so i'm i'm down in southeast michigan uh it's a little town called commerce township just uh, about 45 minutes outside of detroit uh for me to get to a grouse cover i'm i'm looking at about two two and a half to three hours plus uh so yeah so grouse not in my backyard however uh woodcock are definitely in my backyard uh i can i can be to a to a solid woodcock cover in 15 minutes and have my dog down run you know for 45 minutes and and say that i've hunted today so it's uh woodcock kind of saves my uh my season here and there because uh you know not always with a little two-year-old running around all the time it's not always easiest to run two and a half hours to, to hunt for uh Full day or whatever, so you know sometimes it's just uh, throwing down the dog in a quick cover, running around and coming back and now playing dad again. So. Yep, I know I know that feeling uh, pretty well as well.
0: And it's hey man, not everybody can say that they're 15 minutes from publicly accessible wild birds, so that's something to be thankful for.
1: Oh yeah, I mean you know we there's a lot of there's a lot of drummer activity. Uh, excuse me, a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity to to hunt woodcock because of the things that we're doing at RGS. Uh, locally. I mean, again, I'm not in a grouse cover, but there are opportunities to find woodcock all over. Uh, I mean, there's, I have within, within a half hour of my home, I, I have so many covers that I can, I can find woodcock in and I'm, I'm thankful for it because, you know, I'm able to get out and hunt a little bit and, and again, get back to being a dad or just, you know, doing whatever I need to do around the house. So it's, it's uh it's a good thing for sure. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Woodcock
0: are one of those they're a very unique bird that I've certainly become much more familiar with in the past, I would say, 10 years of my life, you know, getting more involved with Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society, and getting a bird dog and just hunting a little bit differently where I actually, I used to hunt on foot, no dog, and I did not fl- flush a lot of woodcock back then, but I do now. Yeah. And, go ahead. No, no. Go well, I was just going to say, like, you know, you bring up this, this point that I feel like if you're deep enough into and hunting and you consider yourself a rough grouse and woodcock hunter you probably have a pretty good handle on this but the woodcock is this bird that it's kind of this mysterious bird that lives in dense forests that not a lot of people go to you know your average person like we're not even talking upland bird hunters here not a lot of people go in there many people probably don't even know what the woodcock is but in recent years you know with the continuation of woodcock banding and you've got the folks out at eastern woodcock migration research cooperative i think i'm getting that wrong but it's close to that you know they're putting gps trackers on they're putting these maps out stuff that stuff that you've published over at rough grouse society we've put that up and shown where these birds go i mean these birds are using habitat that is in a lot of people's backyards and people often don't realize that so it's cool to shed some light on it
1: yeah, you know, and it's funny because when I when I have the opportunity to hunt close to home, that's that's the bird that I'm after. So when I do go up and and hunt in grouse cover, I'm really then able to just focus, really try to focus on only sure. grouse because that's that's the bird that I'm after when I'm driving that far away. So it's kind of fun when I get to when I get to just you know focus on one bird or the other, and you really learn the habitats, and you can really you know drive by a cover and say. Oh, there's probably woodcock in yeah. there, and, and there probably is. Or oh, that's a grouse spot. Okay, I'm going to hit that. You know, so it's interesting to see the difference in those habitats. And I mean, to your point about you know the the habitat that those woodcock are in, it's it's thick, and I think it's I think it's uh I think it's a worse habitat for a hunter to walk through than the grouse habitat yeah. is. So it's funny to it's funny to see that. Have you found any like again exploring
0: those areas closer to home like? whether you're strictly looking for woodcock, have you found them in kind of like some surprising areas or like places that you didn't yeah. expect to? Cause that, I
1: find that happens quite a bit with woodcock and grouse for that matter. Well, grouse for sure. But it's, it's interesting how many times you'll, uh, you'll not expect and your dog will go on point in, in, the edge of a field. And you're like, right. That's, that's, a, that's fake. <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> and and you know, the old, the old Ronnie Bain saying of trust your dog yeah. uh, definitely holds true are we giving ron credit for that saying uh well are
0: we <laughs> i'll ask him tonight ask on hunter's him, uh, happy hour i'll ask him if he wants credit for it <laughs> i think we know what he'll say
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> all right man well let's again i don't want to get too far ahead of myself here we got some stuff to cover but are you born and raised michigander absolutely yep born is michigander is that a proper term to michigander. call you that's cool okay all right tell me about your introduction to the outdoors hunting and hunting and shooting and fishing or anything for that matter just being a michigan guy
1: yeah i mean it's it's in my blood i mean i was born and raised with my dad taking me as a as a young kid i mean i can remember going out to my uncle had uh 10 acres in stockbridge michigan and was a deep my dad's a diehard deer hunter and uh he'd carry me out. I mean, I couldn't even walk and he'd carry me to the deer stand. He'd put me in the, me and my buddy tree stand and, and deer hunt. And so I, I was born and raised a deer hunter and, and a fisher and, um, and doing a ton of fishing around the house. And, um, you know, as I, as I went to college, uh, you know, kind of that stuff sort of tends to drop off here and there because of of other commitments in school. And, um, as I, as I kind of got into my, you know, later parts of life uh, decided that uh, I wanted to try to get a dog and, you know, I wanted to get a bird dog, whatever. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Uh, looking back now, I laugh, but didn't even know what that really meant. And uh, found, found a breeder of a short hair and, and got a puppy out of a litter uh, here in Michigan locally. And uh, that's what kicked it off for me. And, and uh, you know, this was six years ago now, and it's just been, it's just been like, one of those things where it's kind of my personality when i get into something i i don't just get into it i dive full in and yeah i've done and uh yeah it's been fun i mean within six years of getting my first dog i now you know help with social media on rgs and have a have a another setter and then now have a puppy on the way and <laughs> so <it's, laughs> that's kind of one of those things that kind of speaks to my personality a little bit of when i find something i like i I don't just like it i dive in and love it so
0: yeah yeah you and i are similar in that way that's that's definitely how i how i get with things and well upland hunting has been a it's been a constant for me for a long time i've talked at length about how i got my first bird dog six years ago and it's a lot of things have changed in my life since that time and a lot of it is due to the fact that i it that was the spark for me to dive even deeper you know a lot deeper than i had gone in the previous 15-20 years on upland hunting that sort of thing what was your first exposure to upland hunting because you mentioned i and i knew from talking to you before you mentioned deer hunting when you were younger but how did you get exposed to upland hunting
1: yeah just watching it on tv as a kid i just remember like my dad turning on like espn outdoors and these guys pheasant hunting out west and it was like oh man that's kind of cool like i always knew that i I like to shoot guns and shoot shotguns but you know with deer hunting that's you do it one time and that's it and I was like right there's got to be something more here um where I can do it more often you know and I mean maybe I'm not gonna hit them all the time but at least I get to carry my gun that I like and shoot it and So that was kind of always in the back of my mind, and and then, um, you know, as I said, I've always been a... I never grew up with dogs, but I always loved dogs, and I knew that I wanted a dog, and so when the opportunity came for me to be able to get one, um, it was like, I want to get one of these bird dog things, and I had to just kind of figure it out, and I was very fortunate to have a... a, Well, funny enough is that one of my, my best hunting buddy now, Adam, is the guy that kind of really helped me figure out and kind of bridge the gap on figuring things out, because I remember... Taking, taking Hank out and walking through, which now when I look back and I'm like, there's no woodcock there. I was in the complete <laughs> habitat. But, um, you know, it's it's just funny seeing the dog work and and uh, doing that for the first time. It's like looking back on it, it's something that I cherish because now it's like I think about it all the time, every day. There's never much more than an hour that goes past of the day that I don't think about a dog, or or a grouse cover, or check my Onyx map on something. So uh it's just funny how you know in a short amount of time things really um, have changed and and for the better. I mean, I have some of my best friends because of grouse hunting and dogs and shotguns. So yeah,
0: it's weird to think about how something like that can kind of captivate you, honestly, 24/7, 365. But it really is. I don't know. I don't know if it's just the the collective passion amongst upland hunters and bird dogs. I mean, and it's not unique. I mean, you see it across the, the hunting and the outdoor sports. I mean, people have a lot of passion for this stuff and it's, it's easy to, for me to trace it back because I've had enough personal experiences where you feel that excitement and the sensory experience that can be involved with, you know, being on a deer hunt or a grouse hunt or whatever
1: it is. Like you, this stuff gets, it's, it gets ingrained. It's in your blood. It totally does. And you know, it's kind of, I mean, it, and I totally agree with you, but I, it, there's something about upland hunting and, and dogs yeah. and birds that there's a camaraderie there that I just, I mean, you know, I, I came from deer hunting and, and nothing against it. I mean, I still I still get out and, and do it as as much as I can when when time permits or when you know in Michigan we have a shutdown period for, for grouse or for uh, gun season, and uh, so I'll still get out and, and deer hunt. But there's a camaraderie there that I mean is just it's it's a close knit group. There's a small amount of people. I mean, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, and it's just uh, you know it's easy to say that you know somebody that does it when you're in the group because um, and, and and that's the thing that we have to as small group as we are, we have to remember that we need more people to be doing this all the time. And that's something that we're really working on now with RGS and AWS to, to get the next generation involved. Yeah. The dog thing
0: is, is definitely more unique to upland hunting. I mean, you can, you can use dogs and other forms of hunting, but for upland hunting, it's, there's definitely a really, really close tie there with bird dogs and that community and stuff. So that's, and that's one of the things that really, really sucked me in further. Um, so I, I totally get that. You mentioned Adam. Is that Adam Wilson? Yes, sir. Okay.
1: Where's he, Where's he at? I know he's in Michigan. Yeah, he's right? about forty five minutes from me up in Grand Blanc area, so not too far. And and we'll we'll we train dogs. What's is What is funny about Adam and I? So we met um, when we got our first litter mates together, and uh, he's actually on the same list for the for the litter that I'm coming into. No way. But yeah. So we're gonna
0: have litter mates again, which is fantastic. And the interesting thing there is that when you guys first got pups 6 years ago they were short hairs. Tell us what the pups are going to be this time. We're going to be we're going to be getting off the deep end here in the pointer world. So, it's going to be And I guess maybe we should clarify, not the German short hair pointer. The it's the pointer. The pointer,
1: yes. <laughs> the so predominantly white long-tailed pointer. long tail pointer, yes. <laughs> so, should be good. We're we're really excited uh The pups were born on may 21st and uh so we're coming into coming into the the time to start figuring out what we're going to do again awesome that's very exciting we're
0: going to talk pups because i've got i've got a little bit something to contribute there as well we're going to get into that at at some point but i want to i want to spin a little bit more on your introduction to upland hunting and because you and i have talked about i know like when you and i first kind of connected this was now we, we kind of work together with your involvement with Rough Grouse Society and my involvement with Rough Grouse Society. And so we've gotten to know each other through that. But we, would, we were, I would say, casual acquaintances over social media prior to that and would talk grouse hunting. And I know you dove in and you read some books and stuff, including, what's that, what's that huge book written on, the on grouse? Bible. I, the Old Grouse yeah. Bible, yeah. What's it called, though? Do you remember the author's name? Yeah, I can find it okay it's I know it's a giant book I haven't I'm going to have to borrow that one from you because it's it's been it gets referenced quite a bit and it's yeah people say it's kind of like the book on it's grouse as far as like being all
1: inclusive the old the old Ben Jones loves this book too and I okay. after, all right. having, after having some good conversation with him that mm-hmm. I actually have the uh, one of the originals that was published in the in the I believe in the 40s hang on no kidding yes yeah, it's, it's called the rough grouse uh Life History, Propagation, and Management. By? Uh, man, there's a lot of names on here, dude. Is there really? Yeah. Oh, okay. There,
0: there's usually one name that I feel like gets associated with it, but
1: I'll... Cardenier Bump, Robert... Dug-
0: oh, Bump. It's Bump is the one... Bump is the name, like there's there's more than one name on there, but that's the one that always... Gardner Bump, I'm pretty sure, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that gets brought up a lot. So, But anyways, where I was going with that is, I haven't read that book yet,
1: but tell me about it's a uh, it's a lot of information it's it's published from like a New York state perspective but there's a sure. lot of really good information in there about the habits of rough grouse and the habitat that they're in and you know it, it really dives into the uh, not just the habitat but the seasons and where they are in the spring in the winter in the fall in the summer uh, it talks a lot about their broods it talks a lot about their food it talks I mean there's there's a lot of really really valuable information in that 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 can you know it's it's a very much of a like educational style book but when you when you start reading it and you know I take I take my uh, little field notes book here and I just make notes on stuff about about habitat and about habits and um, it talks about seasons and it talks about weather and and and, you know that type of stuff that affects these birds and it's really interesting to kind of dig into that. And I think that's kind of the, the draw to me about, um, grouse hunting a little bit is that there's a lot of this kind of stuff that just is, they're, they're confusing and, and I mean, yeah. hard to figure out. And you know, when you think you haven't figured out, they're going to trick you. Yeah. And, um, I think this book kind of helps steepen that a little bit so that it's not so confusing and you can kind of like start seeing coverage when you're driving by them and say, oh, that might work because of this or that, or that might work because there's definitely some good ground cover there. So it kind of helps you to bridge that gap a little bit, I feel like. Yeah. Well, that's indicative
0: of kind of how you described yourself as like somebody that really dives in. I mean, that's that's a book that, let's be honest, not a lot of people would probably pick that book up and – and read it, you know.
1: But Yeah, and it's it's one of those ones where you're you're not gonna dive in and read the whole thing. You're gonna have to break right. up and, and dig into it a little bit, but it's uh, it's a good one to get into for sure. So are there,
0: were there other books, like, I guess, and maybe like branching off the books, because you mentioned Adam, you know, you had a buddy, a mentor that helped you out. Like what were some of your other influences that kind of helped guide you into becoming a grouse and woodcock hunter?
1: So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was getting out with, with a couple people and just like figuring out where birds were. And then it was just hitting the, hitting the road, man. And just putting a dog yeah. down and just burning boot leather and just walking and, and you know the biggest. Uh, I think one of the best lessons I got from Adam was when a bird flushes, walk over to where it was and stand there for a second and just look around, look yeah. around and see what's there. Why was that? That's and then ask tip. yourself, why was that bird here? What time of day is it? What's the weather like? Is there food around? Is there water around? Is there cover around? Is it a transition area? Is it an escape route? What's happening here? And then try to find that again. And that's and that's kind of how I've how I've done it for you know from when I started to, to now and I I find that when I do that I can you know now that I've started to learn I mean started to learn a little bit more about these birds I can at least yeah. get to a spot and if I don't know the answer I'll even take a picture of it and then think and, and make a note in my phone of like time of day and and what the weather was like so that I can when I get back to camp at the end of the hunt you know look back at it and say why was that bird here you know was it was it just because it got bumped and it was in that area or was it for a reason? And then you can start to kind of put the pieces together a little bit. Yeah yeah i think paying attention to those things especially
0: early in kind of your grouse hunting journey that i mean that's really it's obviously a good thing to do that's those are some of the questions that i didn't ask a whole lot of those of myself in my you know when i was younger in my early years i didn't i didn't pay i wasn't as observant i guess and it just took me a while to build up that that power of observation really
1: yeah and i mean you can you can definitely ask some of the uh the adam wilson's or you know even the rick hellers of the world i mean i will i will ask you questions till i'm blue in the face and, and it's, it's not oh uh, <laughs> well, that's good it's not a uh, hey give me your cover question it's a hey why is this happening or why was this bird here at this time and it's more just trying to figure it out and yeah. i think that i think that that's something that you know as a group we we can we can help uh as we start to learn a little bit more to to help more people get involved in the sport because it's it's a uh, it's a tough bird to figure out i mean I don't know that anybody hasn't completely figured out frankly. Right, right. Um, so that's that's a great way
0: to transition into what I wanted to ask you next. And that's with the understanding that these birds are not easy to figure out. It's a lifelong journey. You know, if you ever think you got them figured out, you probably uh, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Like you you got to learn something every time you go out. That's that's where the passion and the inspiration comes from. But with your journey kind of well underway and you got some years under your belt, like are there any Are there and like I'm not asking you to say like these are like the strategies that people need to use, but like what are what are the things that you use as go-to? Like what strategies are working for you? Are you going to a specific type of cover that's kind of your bread and butter? Like what are the things that you
1: have found to help you be successful? So I think that it's really important to find somebody that can get you kicked off. Find somebody that can get you started. And when you start to find birds. I think it's super important and this is something that Adam and I really talk about doing a lot together is or not even together but just even when we hunt separately is when you think you've got a spot nailed down for a bird go find it somewhere else go find that same spot somewhere else and I mean I try to not hunt the same spots because I do travel and I don't go yeah I don't have birds in my backyard I have to go and, and make a day trip to do this or a weekend out of it um I go and find new spots, and I think that having spots for early season, having spots for, you know, October, after leaf drop, uh, November, having spots that, the more spots that you can have, I think you're going to find yourself to be more successful, because there's a lot of times, and especially now, it's a great thing uh, to have more hunters involved, but I mean there's a lot of times where you drive up to a spot and there's a truck there or you drive yeah. to, you're driving to your spot and there's a truck there before you get to your spot so you know trying to be courteous of other hunters you gotta you gotta have a rolodex of spots to go to and i think that's something that can be challenging to kind of keep adding to the to your your rolodex of spots but it's something that i think is really really important because you know it's if you only have a handful of spots um they're gonna go quick it's not like you can Doing all day sit on a spot. It's a it's a right. It's a quick turnaround, and you're back to the truck and going to the next one. So, I think being able to expand your your areas and going to different counties and going to different places that's it's important.
0: Yeah, don't hit the woods without plan B, C, D, E, F, G. Because if you think plan A
1: is going to work every single time, you are (laughs) far from correct. I've learned.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. That you know, that's another one of those things that. Again, I did this when I was younger. I'd hit a lot of the same spots over and over again because we hunted a very specific way. And there was only, you know, there there was, I mean, we have no shortage of no public land here. But it, maybe it was just kind of that you just go back to the well. And we just, the style of hunting that we did, that's what we did. But now I'm the complete opposite. Uh, you know, like almost to like where I had some spots last year that, let's say I hunted them the year prior. I didn't get to him last year and I'm like, gosh, I really wanted to get to that spot. But I like, it's just ingrained in me now to like continue to explore and try new spots. And not only is it more fun that way, but you learn a lot more and you see, you see grouse in a lot of different covers. And I just think you, you take in a lot more information that way. You,
1: you hit the nail on the head with you learn more um, because you know, you can, you can go to a spot and i I've said it now a couple of times here, but you can get to a spot and either you're going to obviously you're either going to find birds or you're not, but you can get to a point where you can say, okay, why were there birds there? Or why weren't there birds there? And you can almost answer your own question on that because you know, maybe the time of day was wrong or maybe the weather was wrong or there wasn't food there or whatever it might be, but you can kind of start to answer those questions yourself and and kind of at least get going on your journey of learning where they are or why they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And we could you could
0: throw in you know talking about the ethics of hunting the same cover and over and over again and shooting x number of birds out of a certain cover i mean obviously i think it's pretty simple to connect those dots if you keep taking out of the same spot you're going to have less birds in there so just fortunate, distributing
1: fortunate dis- me, disperse I don't, I don't take a lot of birds out of any
0: spot <laughs> well that's, that's for a lot of people you know but it's never a bad idea to disperse your own pressure because you know you're not the only one hunting that spot you know as much as you want to think so and before we hit the record button, I was telling you about a spot that I don't think many people are hunting, but it would be foolish for me to assume that nobody's in there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of my favorite spots, uh, I mean, knock on, knock on wood here, but one of my favorite spots that is one of my go-to spots, uh, I have yet in my six years of hunting to drive up and have a truck there. But, I'm knocking on wood for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that I'm going to go there this year and there's going to be a truck there, but uh, <laughs> Well, and you know it's it's funny because you can see the truck prints, but I've never I've never had a, had a truck there, so it's. But again, yeah, man, it's just it's about finding those new areas and and just expanding a little bit, and I think it really can help you to be successful because if you if you don't have enough spots and you you get to a spot and there's somebody there or whatever, it's just it could it could ruin your day. So it's really good to and it's hard it's hard. I mean, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of yeah, you know, windshield time, gas money walking uh i mean i can't tell you how many times i've walked and not put up birds but you know as you start to expand you can you can kind of figure out how to put birds up and it kind of works yeah yep so
0: mentors boots on the ground doing some reading doing some research any other any other resources influences on you so far
1: uh that's all i got you did mention on hunt at one point you're a, you're a user Onyx, yes so if you were to like if there's a fire in my house it's like save my kid save my dog and save my on maps because I use, that, I use that religiously and uh you know you know that's that's like irrelevant though because Onyx is hardy has it
0: saved for you in the cloud
1: <laughs> but yeah but your, po- your point your point is well taken i don't want to yeah. take a chance like if i can back my phone up i don't need to be losing my, my spots um point taken yeah, yeah um yeah it's you know it's it's great to have something like that and i'm you know coming you know talking about mentors I, I have a i have an atlas that I use in my truck that i that I kind of religiously look at and then you know when i go to a spot and you know that's one of the things that um is interesting about grouse hunting is marking your spots figuring out how to like you know manage that and that's onx is really a cool spot to be able to do that. yeah so it's super helpful
0: yeah it's a it's a very it's an enjoyable way to kind of visually look at the area that you hunt and they're always you know with the waypoints now you can add icons you can change colors you can add notes you can add pictures i mean you can really save a lot of stuff in there which is pretty cool that's a
1: whole nother like rabbit hole we could absolutely go down at some point yeah like, is like talking about how you uh, how you manage your spots and, and your your system of how you you know where you go to and using your ipad to gps your way through a cover and yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yep. It's interesting how a lot of people do it, and I've had a lot of conversations with people trying to figure out how to mark cubbies or you know mark birds or whatever. It's just it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, that's we had Jared Larson
0: of Onyx on Hunter's Happy Hour a few weeks ago now, and I I'm pretty comfortable in Onyx. I use it a lot, and I've I learned a bunch of new stuff from him that one day you know, and that's because they're always they're always changing it and add stuff to it. So it's it's invaluable, and this is it's no no uh surprise to anybody onyx is a p- big time partner on this podcast so if it sounds like a shameless plug i guess it is but <laughs> i get a lot of value out of onyx on On so. oh yeah so
1: do i so do i absolutely
0: let's talk puppies man Yeah. you and i've been you and i've been chatting a little bit recently and you sent me a puppy picture like i didn't know you were going to get one or at least i had if i did i had forgotten you sent me a puppy yeah. picture last week and I was kind of like, I'm expecting news any day. I'm going to hear about it. And that news came for me over the weekend. I found out that the litter that I was interested in, there are puppies on the ground. And then talking today, your pup was born on May 21st. Yep. My pup-to-be was born on May 22nd. So, so we're you, on the same so, timeline so we're, here. So we're
1: announcing like together puppies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like a this is like a pup reveal party here. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, uh, okay. Do you wanna do you
0: wanna do you wanna announce the gender to the audience? So actually, I I, uh, I am not
1: choosing a gender. I've cho- Oh, um, you're gonna wait to find out. Yes. Yeah, so I've chosen the litter, and um, I've I've discovered because uh, you know I, I just by t- trial and error I've decided that letting the letting my friend Nancy who's having the litter uh, decide which is the best dog in the litter for me. So that's, that's the route Cool. I'm going this time. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. I just want a good bird dog and, you know, somebody that has the puppies around for a while is going to know more than I'm going to know. So yeah, uh, TBD on the litter, on the, on the sex of the or the gender, but, uh, yep. it should be interesting to
0: see. So I like, that's a really good point And I think we should not, let's definitely not skip over that, but that's one of a lot of people, I think going to this thing, you, you put down a deposit, and you say, "I want a female or a male." That sort of thing. That's pretty typical. What you can also do, like, is like what you're doing, is say, ask the breeder to help help you select a pup, and you're you're just all your, it's all priorities, right? And these pups are going to be are they going to be eight weeks old, and you take it yep. home? Okay, so so the breeder's got eight weeks. So you're trusting in her judgment to evaluate the pups based on some criteria, and those criteria, what I well, that's what I want you to comment on. But you've just taken gender out of it for for now, and you're letting her evaluate these pups. So what are the things that you're yeah, talking mean, to her about? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: I think it's important to find find what you're what you want. I mean, I know that I I wanted a pointer because I mean I have a setter now, and 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 she's a great dog, and she's she's a. You know she gets on my nerves sometimes but she's a really she's she gets into it and she's a she's a really great bird dog but it, how old is the setter uh she's three so okay uh no she's four i'm sorry she's four okay. and um you know for me it was it was i really like that shorter haired dog and i really like those dogs that have a little bit of go and and she does she does she can get up and go but um you know i for me, it's finding a breeder that you trust, and I really do. I really do trust Nancy, and I think that she's going to be able to give me uh, the dog that I want, regardless of gender here. And that's kind of just where I'm at. So, is she breeding dogs for a specific purpose? Like,
0: if you, I mean, is she breeding all age field trial dogs? I mean, what's kind of the what's the background there? So
1: she actually breeds, uh, short hairs for show, but then she has some fantastic pointers that she's breeding as well. Uh, um, this is actually, I believe her first litter of pointers, but her, her female Ryan is a really, really great dog. I've had the opportunity to do some, do some, uh, training with them and, uh, you know, I'm good friends with them. So we, we've hunted together and, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. The, the male is coming out of some really, really great nastro lines, uh, here in Michigan, uh, crosswind, crosswind kennels here in Michigan, Okay. Um, Scott Townsend has that dog and has put a lot of <laughs> a lot of titles on him, and he's he's a he's a good dog. So it's going to be interesting to see how it comes out, but um, I'm really excited about it. So is, is she? She obviously
0: knows you. Nancy knows you, so she knows you're primarily a rough grouse and woodcock hunter. I mean, is there any other thing that you? gave her to go on to like say I want this kind of dog or that kind of dog or she's just she's just
1: going to try to find you the best wild Yeah bird no it's just going to be it. for me it's just wild birds man I mean I, I yeah. do I mean I've dabbled a little bit of wanting to get into some natural trials but um, you know uh, as you and I both know having a kid, young kid at home doesn't always yep. work that way so for me it's sure. mostly mostly rough grouse hunting and, and some woodcock hunting. So uh, just finding that dog that's super birdie and got a ton of energy and we're gonna figure it out from there.
0: So you've got two dogs, you've raised two bird dogs. This will be your third. Yep anything that you're thinking about, like I am for sure doing this differently or I'm for sure doing this again at this point.
1: Yeah. So, uh, before I, before I jump to that, you know, this, this whole situation that we've been dealing with, with, you know, I've been working from home and yep. and now that I know that I have this, this puppy on the way, uh, I've been, uh, taking my Molly, my setter here and, and doing some obedience, just reinforcing obedience and doing some wool training again, just kind of getting her ready. And, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely what I'm going to be doing with this puppy. I mean, there's a few things that, you know, let it be a puppy for a while, but, um, I think it's super important to get those little puppies ready for the season by doing a few things. And it's obedience. Number one, it's letting them, putting them in the dog box and letting them get used to being in the dog box. Because when I go to camp, that's where they are. So getting them used to that. Um, and just being a puppy, let them, let them, you know, play with, the my setter a little bit here and there and and it's going to be some introduction to birds and then it's going to be let's go and put the dog down and see what happens and we're gonna yeah. you know i mean obviously there's things that we need to do before uh we start hunting i mean you know you'd never not gun break a dog before you take him in the right. birds but but uh obedience i think is a really important thing for me i mean i really really want to see my dog uh, heal i really want to see my dog woe broke before i do any of this but um you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do right around the house, especially with us just being here, you know, kind of exclusively right now um, to just get the dog ready and let the genetics kind of speak for it. Yeah. I, I know that just personally, I'm very excited
0: to bring home dog number two, just to, cause I real I've enjoyed nearly everything about my first bird dog. And I'm really excited to kind of go back through some of that stuff without this immense pressure my first time through it just not having ever raised a bird dog and just having fairly limited experience with them i just had this immense like pressure like wondering at every turn was i gonna do something because you read you read these horror stories like if you go out and you do your research and you read your books and you god forbid you get online and start (laughs) reading stuff there but honestly you'll you read horror stories and those stick out in your mind at least for me they did as a first-time dog owner and so like I said, at every turn, every corner, I was worried, like, am I is today the day I'm going to make the mistake that ruins this dog forever? And, I mean, I think what I can tell you from my dog is they are way more resilient than I ever imagined they would be. You know, so I've learned that. And so I, I just think I'm going to have a lot less pressure on myself going through it the second time. I'm really excited to be a little bit more loose and not necessarily carefree like i'm going to be intentional and i'm there's definitely things that i'm going to try to do differently but just to be able to go through it again uh from you know with a little bit different perspective six years of perspective i'm i'm very excited by that
1: yeah you know it's it's funny because i'm in the exact same boat as you when i got my short hair my first dog it was like Oh my gosh! I got to do all these things. I got to get it ready. I got to, got to, got to do that. Get it on birds. Do this. Make sure it's gone. Like all these things. And then you know when I got Molly, my setter, um, she came to me at about 18 months old, and so she she was already uh, you know had been shot over and just needed a little bit of obedience training, and it was um it was a little bit different of an experience so this puppy is going to be technically only the second puppy that i've had even though a dog um and just from having some great conversations with people around around michigan here and and even with you and um you know it's just it's funny because yeah we put this we put so much pressure on ourselves to get this dog ready for this season and um, or or get this dog you know wool broke or get this dog gun broke and it's like at some point you gotta let the puppy be a puppy for a little while before you really really start putting any type of steering wheel on it and I think that's I think that's something that you know everybody wants their dog to be ready and of course I do too but yeah. you can't you gotta let the dog be tell you when it's ready to do the next step of training and You know, I'm absolutely not a professional trainer, but I try to do it again on my own. And I may end up sending this dog off to do a little bit of training with some, with somebody at some point, but you know, for the initial start of it, I'm going to do the best that I can here. And I think that it's with, with help from people. I mean, again, you know, if you can, if you can have a, you know, you should have a mentor when you're grouse hunting, you should, you're going to try to do your dog stuff on your own. You should definitely have some mentors that have done it before. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely going to be a lot less pressure because you don't need to do that, um, as far as I'm concerned, to get the dog ready. Because they're gonna they're gonna tell you when they're ready to do the next step of training.
0: Yeah, and you know we you got two things working for you there. You've got you have less pressure because you've been through it before. Yeah. You also have less pressure because you have a dog that you can hunt with, right? So 100%. you're, cause that was, that's a lot of things you were saying that were resonating with me because when I first got my dog and that I was going to talk to you about the age of our pups, because they're not going to be old, all things considered, they will not be old when September rolls around and hunting season rolls around. The dog that I'm getting this year will be roughly about a month older than when I got Hartley okay, six years yep. ago. Hartley was very young. I mean, he was three months old when hunting season started, but What did I know? I got my first bird dog hunting season's coming. Like this dog's got to be intro to birds, intro to, to gun and everything. And I I will tell you, like, I talked to this about on Hunter's happy hour a few weeks ago and the guys were kind of like, what, like, how did you do all that stuff with this young dog? And like, I mean, I did it. I'm not going to say like, I didn't blindly do this stuff and like rush through it. Like I had the right people around me. I had, I had close friends that had done it before, especially with intro to birds and the intro to gun, so I was pretty cautious, and all all worked out for the best. But I will s- say that you know it was it was pretty young for him to do that. And when I hit the season, had very low expectations. I wasn't thinking I was gonna be going out bagging all kinds of birds over this dog. You know, we had fun, but now it's like now I I can let that settle even a little bit more. Like I'm I'm still probably gonna try to have intro to birds done and intro to gun done. But again, I'm I'll be a little bit savvier now to those things that you mentioned. The dog telling you that it's ready. You know, there's there are ways that a dog will tell you if it's not ready for a certain thing, and and those are the things that if you're totally new to it, you need somebody to help you with. If you've been through it a time or two, you're going to have a little bit more of a sense for that kind of thing. But yeah, it's you got to be careful with that stuff. So. Yeah, you
1: got to be careful, and it's you know, I mean, even I mean, I I mean, three dogs is not very many. You know, I mean, I gotta I got right people here that have hundreds of dogs that they've been through, and those are the people that I'm looking to say, hey, what do you think about this? this thing or that, or, or what could do next? And I mean, you know, uh, not here to plug any specific trainers, but man, it's, if you're not sure, uh, it's definitely going to be worth your while to ask somebody, uh, yes. just, just talk to somebody that's done it more times than you have or more times than I have even. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. again, you know, um, because, you are completely right with you said what you said earlier. These dogs are very resilient, but you gotta you gotta not you know bang pots and pans over their head. That's not the way to do it you know like. Um. That's very funny. I I was <laughs> talking to somebody earlier today, and we had a
0: laugh over that that same thing. But I won't get into that here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's one of those things that that's been written down in a book. Know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and if it's in a book it's much try. like just much like much like if it's on the internet it's got to yeah. be true or if it's on a podcast oh, it must have been be it's that. expert advice yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i you know i agree with you it's interesting we have we have a lot of parallels going back and forth between the two of us and obviously that's that's um, why we're what we're talking about but yeah we're definitely coming from the perspective of hey we've done this once maybe twice going on three times but we're just giving our perspective you know like what we've seen what we've done and that's that's all we can do
1: yeah yeah it's gonna be fun i mean you know i'm 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 really looking forward to seeing what this dog can do and i think it's it's interesting because you know you get a dog that knows what that's bred to do this this job and you, you put a little bit of training wheels on it and we're gonna turn it loose and see what it does i mean you know we want to always guarantee the guarantee what's going to happen as much as we can for sure but at the end of the day i think letting a dog get out and stretch its legs in the grouse woods and even bumping a couple birds you know is is not going to be the worst thing for a new grouse and woodcock dog yeah Yeah. so
0: yeah the other interesting thing about especially with dogs you know and like this highly specialized breeding for these specific purposes like the dogs that you and i are training today are not the same dogs that were being written about in a book 50 to 60 years ago so not to like you know i don't want to take a certain author particularly out of context because that's not fair to that author you know a book that was written 50 years ago they were training totally different dogs you know we've had 50 60 years of selective breeding and the good smart breeders are breeding for intelligence and resilience and all that stuff so we've got different dogs today than they had back then
1: these dogs are smart man i mean yeah you know you get a you get a, a good dog that's bred out of some some really great lines and Watching these dogs run around and, and go on point and and reposition on these birds that are absolutely some of the hardest birds to kill. Uh, when you're talking about rough grouse, um, and and watching you can almost you can almost and I know you you've got that same thing, Nick, where you can almost see your dogs' wheels turning a little bit on what's going on. Oh yeah. If it's, if the dog bumps a bird or whatever, they 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 get it, and I mean. It usually for me, you know, I mean, admittedly, again, having having a young kid at home, I don't get to do as much training as I would like to. But um, it usually, takes one bump bird from my setter, and uh, she'll she'll uh, won't do it again for. She a kind long. of dials I, it back. Yeah, she she yeah. figures it out, and there's not after that first one or two, she's she's kind of you, you can see that cautiousness coming a little bit. I mean, she'll she'll run her butt off, but but she'll, uh, she'll get real cautious on stuff. And it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, just like riding a bike, you know, you just, they just jump right on and keep going. So it's interesting. So
0: with your first two dogs, as far as training goes, I don't want to get into like real specific, like reg- regimens or anything like that, but at a high level, what would you say the breakdown of like Training. You mentioned obedience work. Like, did you do a lot of steadiness work with one of your dogs, or were you more to the side of things where you just putting the dog on wild birds as much as possible, and then just kind of doing your your basic heel, whoa kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, what I'm gonna what, well, let me just let me just focus on what I'm gonna do with this dog because um okay. the first two were trial and error, and I didn't. I mean, you know, it was the first dog I had, and then it was the second dog that I had. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to get this dog on some pigeons when I get it home and let it just get that get that sense of running after birds and really liking birds and get it excited about some pigeons. Um, once, once we've done that a few times and it, it likes to chase those birds, uh, we're going we're gonna to start doing some heel training. We're going to really just really focus on a little bit of um, just obedience. I mean, just, you know, at the end of the day, this dog is a house dog. Uh, and because our season is pretty short, it's a house dog first. And, yep. and I mean, yes, it's a hunting dog, but it lives in the house way more than it hunts. So this dog has to, you know, learn how to go and sit in the chair and lay down or go sit in its seat and lay down. Um, so we're really going to work obedience. We're going to start doing some heel training. We're going to really make sure that it is understanding that that's what is expected when asked of it. Uh, and then we're gonna start doing some woe training. Um, and I and I woe train uh, alongside heel training. So I'll I'll walk my dog to heel and then I'll make it woe and just kinda, you know, pull up on the leash, make it woe. And we get to the point where we can step out and take one step. If you can take one step away from it, you can take two steps away from it, and eventually you should be able to walk a circle around it. And that's kinda that's kinda the method that I've used and seems to have worked. So yep. I'm gonna I'm not gonna try to fix anything at this point um now that's not to say that this is going to work for that dog we're gonna we're gonna play it by ear as soon as you think you got to figure it out right you're gonna probably be made a liar um but that's where we're gonna start and then you know from there once that dog once i can once i can woe that dog and walk away from it and it'll stand in place and and it starts to kind of you know it's funny because you'll see they'll start to kind of look you in the eye a little bit and that's Mm -hmm. that like indication of okay I got it. I understand what I what, what you want me to do here. That's when we'll start putting it on a, on some birds and start running it in the field and see what we can find. And you know, I'm not afraid to let it. I'm not afraid to let a first year dog that I, I've done some wool work with uh, get out and get after some wild birds. And yeah, I, I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it run in the grass woods this year, absolutely. And you know, if it's gonna bump some birds, it's gonna learn, and that's and that's important. And I think you know. It gets to that point where it's like, okay, we're not shooting any bump birds off, off this dog this year. So, you know, if, if you're here to you're here to shoot birds, it's not it's not necessarily what we're doing right now. Yeah. Teaching this dog what we're doing here, and um, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at for this year. And I don't have, yeah, you know, I have no expectations because it's a puppy, and we're gonna we're yeah. gonna get there. But it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Your last note there, it's gonna be fun. I mean,
0: that's what has me most excited about is, again, without that pressure that I kind of had the first time. I'm going to really be able to enjoy this puppy season because again, I'm not I'm not expecting anything. All I want is for that puppy to go out and find bump into flush, rip, point Never however many enough. wild birds possible, <laughs> you know. It's it's going to be with me on every trip, it's going to be hopefully you know i want to get into talking about trips a little bit next here but hopefully we'll be i'll be doing some travel for upland hunting otherwise i'll certainly be hunting around here but uh yeah it's it's going to be going on trips spending time in the crate on the road
1: meeting other dogs all that kind of stuff and and that's that's gonna be great for a puppy and that's exactly why i say like some of the first things i'm doing is i'm putting it in the kennel and i'm putting it Mm -hmm. on really making sure because i mean you know uh, the short hair people here are going to either hate me or love me here but you know my short hair screams in the kennel and that's because I was guilty and didn't put him in the kennel and I didn't know it was my first dog you know that's something that we're going to work on we're going to we're going to work on crate training a whole lot and that's something that you don't necessarily think about or, or necessarily have to do with, or uh, when with your first dog but it's something that as you get to do this a little bit more you learn like especially when you have two dogs i only like to hunt one dog of my own dogs at, at a time so Yep. So you're gonna have to learn that it's either your turn or it's not and then when it's not your turn you're gonna be in the kennel and so that's something that's important to me for sure yep i would i would put
0: myself right there with you stakeouts chain gangs crates you know taking turns all that kind of stuff I mean, clipping. even if yeah even if you're like not even planning on doing all, of the, all that stuff
1: that's all good for a dog yeah. you know yeah. it's just it's one of those things where they just learn that you're in control and they have to do whatever yeah. you say kind of thing so it's good so we hinted at,
0: you know, perhaps doing a little bit of traveling. I, I'm gonna we're gonna take this last segment to kind of at least just daydream a little bit Perfect. and, and uh, talk about fall because we've got we certainly have puppies coming before then. We got lots of exciting stuff before then, but definitely looking ahead. It's hard not to think about the season when you have a puppy coming. You know, you're definitely my mind is all of a sudden now that it's become a reality. My mind is drifting to the fall quite a bit. I had some definitely had some project upland related travel that was kind of on. It was on the radar. Nothing was really official on the calendar. A lot of that stuff's kind of on hold, I guess, if you will, obviously, as we see how things play out. But I'm hopeful some of that will come back. But I'm anticipating being able to make a trip out west early season to hunt sharptails i really hope that's possible i will certainly be hunting a lot around here anything anything on your radar that you're kind of like i'm gonna do this this year
1: yeah so a couple things actually so with rgs i've you know again this is all pending everything that's happening and i'm hopeful that it that everything does get to happen here but um i'm definitely looking at going to the uh do some national hunt this year, uh, possibly. Which is in Minnesota. Minnesota, yep. So come yep. out that way to you and, and maybe even swing by your cabin and go yep. hunting with you this year would be fun. Yep. Um, but then, you know, talking with uh, our good buddy Joe going out to New York this year. Oh, wing, okay. On the wing camp. and. Oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about that. Again, these are all just we'll see what happens type of thing. But, I mean, that's, that's definitely – Two of the trips that I'm hoping to do out of state, and then I always do uh, grouse camp uh, in October with uh, a couple of my couple of my good buddies for a long weekend, extended weekend. So, a couple of trips on the books this year. Looking forward to it. Hoping that it works. Of course, the one year that I get to have a few things on the books, we have you know a world <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how right I work in life. But um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I'm definitely daydreaming about it. Yeah,
0: when you do your grouse camp, is that? in the same place is it what i'm getting Is that lower michigan upper michigan do you hunt the up at all
1: yeah i've hunted the up twice uh so not a ton uh at all but uh really had some fun in the up that was actually where my first camp was a few years ago uh this past year did lower peninsula uh kind of central lower peninsula so we could kind of go here there and everywhere and um hoping to get to the UP this year at some point uh, we'll see I, I have a uh, travel trailer camper that would allow me to get out and do that a little bit so we'll see it's definitely a definitely an option go up and see Heather shop in the UP yeah so. yep
0: yep well I'm right there with you I'm hopeful obviously it's going to be a fun and an interesting fall for the both of us regardless with
1: the uh, Well, you know, we should we should definitely truck. uh maybe even after the season connect again and, you know, report out on how our We should. We yep. do. <laughs> I think it's kind of it
0: it's kind of uh it seems like fitting like we probably especially if you do end up heading this way, we're probably going to have to do a puppy hunt. Yeah,
1: puppy hunt. Or a puppy walk puppy I should walk. say. Yeah, least. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting to see and I mean you know i try i i I tend to be a little competitive and i mean as you as i've said to you before like uh when i like something i dive in and so i i really i think you made a good point earlier too nick about you know just not having too much stress and i gotta keep reminding myself that it's it's the first of many seasons for this this little guy coming or you know dog coming on so um i think it's gonna be fun and yeah puppy walk would be awesome
0: yeah, for sure. All right, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I actually have kind of forgot to do this on my last few. I don't. I'm trying to make this a regular thing. But uh, what kind of shotgun do you carry most often when you hit the hit the birdwoods? Yeah.
1: So I just past year I bought a Remington 1100 Sporting 28 gauge, and uh, I really really like that gun. So that is this is actually going to be the first year in six years that I've carried the same gun two years in a row, and I'm excited. <laughs> You've been switching I've been around switching a little bit. Around. i been switching around. I had no idea what I was doing going into it. Uh, so I, I tried a few things. I tried a side-by-side. Side. That didn't work very well. I actually sold that on the on the Clay's range one day somebody, yeah. because I was very, very unhappy with the way I, was. I still wish I would have bought that. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, uh, that's typical me, just getting upset and saying, you know what? We're moving on. So got rid of that and, and got into this gun, and it, it fits me really well um that 28 gauge round is like a secret round that i swear is just fantastic i really really enjoy it and we've talked about this a lot you know? yeah
0: yeah we have this the semi-auto 28 gauge it's like
1: i'm pretty interested in that like i feel like it would be a sweet gun to shoot it man this little 1100 you're gonna have to shoot it if we get to get out this year so yeah we'll, we'll do a swap i'll show you how bad i am with the side-by-side again but uh <laughs> but uh no, this gun—it's it, it, funny. These 1100s just seem to fit really well, and this gun fits me really well, and uh, it just—it just feels great. It's, it's cool. Did you end up?
0: Have you settled on a uh, 28 gauge load or something that you like?
1: Again, so you and I have had this conversation. So I'm into the one ounce uh, s- uh, seven and a halfs, and okay, uh, the Winchester double A's. Oh, nice. Yep.
0: They make they make or is it twenty 28- no, eight it's a, it's a six, right? Six shot? Um uh, no, probably seven and a half. I didn't know that I didn't know that well, I guess I haven't looked, but that the double A Winchester's double A's makes a one ounce in twenty-eight gauge. Yep. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I, I have some of the I have some of the double A one ounce in twenty gauge and I shot some last fall I shot some one ounce twenty eight gauge loads from B and P. Um so they, I know they're out there, but yeah okay
1: yeah that's that's a good load you can't go wrong with double a's yeah yeah it's uh i was a little hesitant on the 28 and you know what i right. said i'm doing it and i i haven't looked back and i, I really like that gun
0: yeah that's one of those things we we have talked about that where again i think people get really really carried away talking about gauge um especially with and i base all this on conversations with that i've had with like Del and you know yep. somebody that's done a lot more work with patterning and stuff than myself but you know, with modern ammunition and stuff like that, I feel like the gauge conversation can get and does get carried away pretty quick. You know, the
1: thing that I've found with gauges, uh, I just feel like that 28 gauge is such a good round for these little birds because they are so delicate. And, you know, a lot of the time you're shooting very, very close to these birds. So, mm-hmm. you know, a 20 gauge is great. And I know a lot of people use 12 gauge and then there's nothing against that. I mean, I just, I just know that I've, many times you know done some bad things to birds with those bigger rounds and i just i i find that i am able to shoot this gun really well and it fits me so it's kind of just one of those things where you know if it works i'm not going to try to fix it and this thing seems to work so
0: yeah and again that comes back to you know it comes back to the specific load and just being mindful because you know i'm not that far off from the days where i used to just go up to gander mountain and you know buy a buy a box of shells that had a grouse or a quail on it or something, and you, you know you assume that that works. But obviously now I pay a little bit more attention. I mean, it just again it comes
1: back to kind of knowing what you're get shooting. At that one breaks. ounce load with the 28 really seems to make a big difference to me. I mean, I I shot some sporting clays early, and I uh, was in the three quarters ounce, and and that one ounce just for whatever reason seems to just give you that little bit extra, and it's I really like it.
0: Yeah, you certainly get more density there, and if your gun can pattern it well, you, you're you got a good shot there. So that's cool. Um. All right. What's the other question that I ask? I'm I'm on air production planning here. What kind of boots are you wearing in the grouse
1: woods? So I'm a, I'm a hiker boot kind of guy. All right. Um, You guys are pretty sandy soil over that. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, there's definitely wet spots. I definitely have covers where I have a pair of rubbers that I need to throw on once in a while. But, um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm one of those guys that really likes to walk. I mean, I sit down at my job nine to five, so for me to be able to to get up and walk while I'm hunting is is definitely the thing that I love about upland hunting. So to have those boots that are very comfortable for me, I just I run like a Keen uh, hiker boot, and you know it just seems to work for me. There's and gosh, you can get into rabbit holes on boots yeah things. that happens on facebook every oh, hour yeah, on the oh, hour yeah. every <laughs> time i see one of those posts i just uh, gotta keep keep scrolling because yeah and you know i'm sure there's better boots and i'm sure everybody's got their own opinions on them but for me it's just, right. i like those boots that i can just they feel like tennis shoes almost and you know i can jump over a piece of uh, a section of water if i have to and, and sure. keep walking that's them yeah, so. yeah.
0: Gotcha, man. All right, dude. Well, this has been fun. I really appreciate you taking some time to join us on the Project Upland podcast. It's been a blast. Uh, hey, quick question for you. The Rough Girl Society, because I can see you on video. The listeners won't be able to, but you're wearing the custom J. Dowd artwork, Pike Gear slash Rough Girl Society t-shirt. That thing looks badass. I've got one upstairs. I'm going to put it on later before Hunter's happy hour. When does that membership drive end? Does it end May thirtieth? Yes, or thirty first. Thirty first. Okay. So okay. Yeah, it's
1: uh, that's that's it. We've been teaming up with Pike Gear, and you know, hey, I got a Pike Gear gas, uh, vest. That I'm looking for. Oh, you got the wingman. I got the wingman, so nice. I'm looking forward to nice. that this year, and uh, it's an awesome vest. I'm really excited about it. I've been wearing it around my house in quarantine, like shouldering my gun, and and uh, feels really good. And yeah, it's a it's a cool thing, and we're really excited to be partnering with Pike Gear. They're an awesome Michigan company, and yeah, it's a it's a cool spot, man. Cool. Well, I just
0: wanted to mention that. I will throw a link in there. If I hurry up and get this podcast out, my intention is to get it out before that membership drive. ends. so if anybody's listening and they're curious about Rough Grouse Society, now is a great time to join until the end of May. But even after that, it's always a good time to join Rough Grouse Society. You bet.
1: Nick, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you, Kellen. We'll obviously be in touch about all sorts of stuff, and I certainly hope our paths cross this fall, buddy.
1: Absolutely. And we will uh, see you on the Hounder's Happy Hour here in a little bit. Sounds good, man. Hey, good luck with that pup. Yes, sir. You too, buddy. All right. See ya. Bye.
0: All right, that does it for this episode of the Project Upland podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. A quick reminder that the podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast for your chance to win the Project Upland podcast giveaway. And head over to projectupland.com for more of the Upland birds, dogs. Guns and gear that you love until we see you back here for the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast.